Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. More songs, movies, and books have been written about this one thing than anything else in the world, and that is love. Because love is what drives so many things in our lives. And what's so interesting about it is when you actually ask someone what is love, most people wouldn't even know how to describe it. In fact, we all know that there are different types of love. Me loving chocolate or loving Indian food is much different than how I love my children or love my husband. And even the love I have for my husband is different than for my children. But what about the love I have for my job? There, There's just so many ways that we can talk about love, but how can you actually quantify it? And this is where we start getting really geeky and sciencey and getting into the real data of what is love and how do you show it to the people that you love. Today, I am joined by a super special guest, Dr. Joe Beam. Dr. Beam is a world-renowned expert on love, marriage, sex, so many things. He's even been referred to in the past as the love doctor. He is... I believe, the wisest person to listen to and get guidance from when it comes to any and all types of love relationships, parenting, marriage, families. He's done research in all of those things. He's been teaching and speaking about it for years and years. But perhaps the most notable thing and line in Dr. Joe Beam's biography is that he is my father. And so he not only taught me how to love by first loving me, but he taught me how to love the people around me through teaching me what love means, what it looks like, and how to actually show it in my everyday actions, which now I get to do in my daily life, in the career that I have in working with Marriage Helper and showing people how to love themselves in the work that I now do with pies. So without any further ado, here is my really amazing conversation with Dr. Joe Beam about what is love. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts With Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies. You can become more attractive to others, and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in. Hey friends, we are just weeks away from the new Pies course launching. It's called Your Best Self, 30 Days to Becoming the Most Attractive That You Can Be. And it really is a 30-day course. It's super exciting the way it's laid out. Every single day there's a new topic, a new thing for you to do. I cannot wait for you all to get in it and go through it and to see amazing change happen in your life. If you want a chance to win one of the Your Best Self courses, then be sure to leave a review of this podcast, screenshot it, and send me an email at hello at piesuniversity.com. That's P-I-E-S university.com. And you will be entered in for your chance to win one of the Your Best Self courses. I am drawing for this every single month. So be sure at any time to make that review, send me that picture, and you will be entered for a chance to win. So I am here with Dr. Joe Beam, but wouldn't it be funny if I called you Dr. Dad? <laughs> if that makes you happier, call me Dr. Dad. Dr. My sister Dad. calls me Dr. Bro. <laughs> Bro. Yeah, I think I think that's what I said when I was uh, in high school, that I would call you Dr. Dad. No, actually, when you were in high school, you'd call me Joseph. Yeah, that didn't last. <laughs> yes. yes, and I, uh, you, I stopped you from doing that. You did not like that. No, you did I not like that. that. <laughs> Oh, funny, funny. Well, today we are talking about what is love, which every time I say it, I just think about that song from it was probably what the 80s or 90s. What is love? 
you know, 80s. It was the 80s. Actually, Farner did a song called I Want to Know What Love Is. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our listeners want to know what love is as well. And I thought the perfect person to talk about that would be the love doctor, the relationship expert, the sexologist, Dr. Joe Bean. Yeah, I called one of our mutual friends over in Texas the other day. And when he answered, he said, Dr. Love. (laughs) (laughs) And when you were very small, we actually were at Disney World in Orlando once. And I got pulled into a a street skit and they gave me the title Dr. Love, having no idea who I was. It was kind of funny. So, yeah, we know a little bit about love. I have read research on love as far as you can imagine. Uh, There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pages of research out there about it. In addition, there's a whole lot of different ideas that people have about it. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. What is love? Back when I was in high school, which would have been, you know, late 1800s, I remember that a professor at Augusta State University, which is now just Augusta University, by the way, said, love is a feeling you feel when you feel you're feeling a feeling you never felt before. So I thought, boy, that sounds profound. And so being young and naive, I quoted that quite a bit. Love is a feeling you feel when you feel you're feeling a feeling you never felt before. And then I realized one day, my goodness, if you if you think that's what love is, you may wind up marrying somebody when really, you know, all you needed was a Rolade. So we look <laughs> at this. <laughs> Just add some gas. <laughs> I used that joke once many years ago at Harding University, several thousands of people in the auditorium. And a guy behind me uh, sitting on the on the stage with me got so tickled, he literally fell off the chair laughing at that. So there was a time when that was considered to be funny. Several years ago, but back then, yeah. Still funny. Still funny. But it, But it's true. I mean, we... Of course, in the work that both you and I, you much longer than I have done with marriages, people say that all the time. Well, I love this other, especially when there's an affair. I love this other person. There's a feeling that I haven't felt with my wife or my husband. So therefore it must be love. Well, in the broadest sense, a positive emotion could be called love and people can label their own emotions any way they want. You know, they, they can call it love. They can call it true love, whatever else. In the social sciences, uh, we've actually studied a whole bunch of different kinds of love. And, and based on their characteristics, we're able to kind of say, well, this is that kind of love. This is that kind of love. If you go all the way back thousands of years ago to the Koine Greek language, for example, they actually had three primary words for love. And uh, one was agape, which basically was just a word that meant uh, doing what's best for the other person even if you don't want to. And they call that agape love. Another one was called storge. Uh, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong a long time since I took Koine Greek. But storge had to do with natural affection, like uh, what a mother would feel for a child or a child for a mother. And then they had one called a phileo, which was basically what we call brotherly love. So, for example, if you took the Koine Greek uh, phileo, meaning brotherly love, and adelphos, meaning brother, so phileo adelphos, Philadelphia, city of brotherly mm. love. And right. and so they had different kinds of love even in, in that day and time. And they had another word that they used called eros. And mm. eros had to do with intense passion. And so you start looking at it and go, okay, what kind of love do you want to talk about? Because there's a love for your cat. There's a love for your dog. And they may be similar. There's a love for your parent. There's a love for your boyfriend or girlfriend. There's a love for... The United States of America, if you're a very loyal patriot. I mean, there's all kinds of different words. So or for your career, you're like loving what you do, your job. Yeah. And and I love what I do. I think you love what you love, uh, do as well. And yeah, we can love that. So in the broadest sense, it means a positive emotion. But mm-hmm. particularly with uh, the younger generation now, it's like, well, I want to know what love is. And I want you to show me. That's how that song goes by Farner, by the way. And, and the young generation is going, who's Farner? And I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the concept. I'm not sure I know what love is, particularly because of the fact that many people have grown up in environments, uh, say their mother and father, who treated each other terribly. Mm. And, and, and or mom or dad or both treated that person terribly. Well, you say you love me, but then I look at how you treat me and I think, is that what love is? And then you say we love each other, but I look, I see how you treat each other and I wonder, is that what love is? And that's why some people, and 
particularly people who've been through very bad situations like sexual abuse, et cetera, can actually uh, grow up, get out there on their own and have such a uh, misshapen view of what love is that they start looking for what they have heard that love was based on how mom and dad were, how mom and dad treated me, mom or dad treated me, or the person who abused me. And and that's what they look for. And so you see people sometimes going from one controlling, dominating relationship to the other, because somehow in their mind, they think that's what love is, or mm-hmm. or that are extremely sexually promiscuous, because somehow they found their worth in being a sexual being, because that's what happened to them in their mind when they were young. And so the fact that people are looking for something, if they are trying to replicate what they grew up with, even if they're not aware that's what they're doing, they wind up in all kinds of terrible situations, relationships, thinking that's love, but then they can't live in it. Or sometimes they think it's going to be just the opposite. I'm going to find somebody who is just the opposite to my mom, my dad, whatever. And then they think that's what they're looking for. And, and they can, it can be done, but they can become perfectionists. So that nobody ever fits the bill. Like, mm. no, there's nobody good enough. There's nobody I can actually truly love. And when you think about the fact that in America, and I realize that we talk to people all over the world, but in the USA, half the adult population is single. And and if you think, well, that's because they want to be, that's true. There are some people who definitely want to be single, which is fine. Absolutely fine. But the vast majority of the single adults in America actually do want to be in a relationship. Well, why aren't they? Why is eHarmony and and uh, all those other things, plenty of fish, all those other things out there? It's it's because of the fact that it's really easy to find somebody who will use you, but it's very difficult to find somebody who truly will love you in a way that's fulfilling to you. And so, as you know, Kimberly, we try to help people understand love has different components. And, and if you can find these components in a person, he or she will not be perfect. But if you can find somebody who can love you in spite of his or her flaws and in spite of your flaws, then mm-hmm. you can have a relationship that can last, well, actually can last a lifetime. That's not in vogue right now, but it can. It can last an entire lifetime. Yeah. One of the things, though, that that has stuck out to me from what you've said so far, and it's been kind of a theme in the past couple of podcast interviews I've had, is a lot of this begins in our childhood. Mm-hmm. A lot of this begins this perception of what love is, what we want to look for. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that parents could do to have a, to instill a healthy view of love for their children now? Well, there, this has been replicated in many studies over the years, but they actually look upon whether or not the child feels loved and at the mm-hmm. same time, whether the child feels controlled. Now, I don't mean controlled in the sense of dominated, but in the sense that, that, that there are boundaries, there are rules. And and you can make a four-quadrant model out of that. And from that four-quadrant model, come up with di- four different kinds of parenting. And when you look at those different parenting styles, the research has been done now for decades about how children are likely to turn out based on which kind of parenting style they use, using that four-quadrant model. Now, you can get more sophisticated than that. But this particular model works really, really well. And and so just without going into all the detail of it, and people can find it on the Internet, or you and I can actually do a course about this is what we probably need to do to help explain it better. Kids mm-hmm. who do not feel loved, and this is not measuring what you feel toward them, but what they feel from you. Kids who feel loved and who feel at the same time controlled in the sense of there are boundaries, there are rules, there are things I need to follow right. here, and that you're going to hold me to those things are the kids that turn out best by far. Kids that feel loved, but there are no boundaries and rules are actually the second best. Now, not nearly as good as the one I just said. Kids that feel unloved and uncontrolled are the ones that turn out the worst. Oh, I'm sorry, are the third best. <laughs> and and the worst one is um, kids who feel unloved and controlled. Those are the ones that turn out mm-hmm. the worst. Now, again, any kid can overcome this. So don't misunderstand. I'm not saying a kid's doomed by what you do. I mean, you see stories all the time of people who have pulled themselves out of situations and made their life a whole lot better. But 
But well, if you're gonna if you're gonna do the control, which kids actually need, give them some boundaries, some rules, not in the sense of dominating the boundaries and rules, which you will diminish as they get older, so they can make more and more decisions on their own. But if you just wind up being controlling and kid doesn't feel loved, the likelihood that that kid's gonna turn out well in life and have good relationships is not very good. It can happen, but it's not very good. And they also are more likely to get in trouble with the law. They're more likely to get into the subculture like drugs and those kinds of things, much more likely to be defiant. You skip all the way over to the one where that, okay, the kids do have boundaries and rules, again, that we will diminish as they get older so they can take more and more responsibility. You don't want an 18-year-old looking at you and saying, okay, uh, what should I eat? You know, what should I do next? Because then you haven't helped them get to where they need to get to. But also feel very loved, even though at times they will rail against the control. I don't like your rules. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all people rebel against that, everybody. But if they also feel very loved, those are the kids most likely to turn out successful in life, have good relationships, be able to hold down jobs, et cetera. So in terms of parenting, and that's a very, very brief explanation. Yes, it's really important to control the child, but it's also important to diminish that as they age. But it's extremely important that the child feels loved. And if you've got to give up one of those two, give up the control. Hmm. I just want to say... I never rebelled against rules. <laughs> <laughs> I was speaking to an audience of about a thousand people once. She was sitting in the audience. She must have been like 13 or so and spoke up and disagreed with me from the floor when there's audience of a thousand people there. No, she's never rebelled. Never. No, I've never rebelled. But there were rules. There were definitely this is what we do. This is how we act. This is the way things are going to be, you know, be home at 10, whatever it was. So but but how here's my question in regards to that. And then I have a follow up question uh, that I really want to get to the uh, but how do I know my child feels loved? I think it's whether or not they seek you out. And you're available to them, particularly in times of emotional need. There's a theory out there called attachment theory or attachment styles theory. And and again, you know, we actually talk about this in some of our workshops that we do with couples. But the the children who feel most secure, in other words, uh, when I need you. I believe you're going to be there for me. Now, you may not be perfect at it because nobody is, but but they can pretty much rely on the fact that when I need you, you'll hold me. Uh, when I need you, you'll be here where I am. You'll be with me. When I need you, you'll tell me the words, not only that I love you, but you'll demonstrate them in the actions by putting my welfare first. I need you even in a spiritual sense, having to do with beliefs and values and those kinds of things. And kids who feel as they're growing up that the parents are there for them, even if it's just one of the parents, if they're there for them in that way, they can, the child, um, shouldn't call them kids anymore, I guess, the child uh, is probably going to feel loved. So you're manifesting it physically in the touch that you do with the child hugs, those kinds of things, nothing untoward, of course, intellectually, in the sense that the the child can ask you questions and, and actually interact with you. And you're not like, go ask your mom or look it up. But you actually get involved in dialogue with them about what's right, what's wrong intellectually. That also goes to the spiritual side. And that emotionally, you confirm to them that you love them. You tell them and then you demonstrate it again, physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. And if you want to know that your child feels loved, look to see how much they come toward you. And how much they want you to be there when they are emotionally troubled. Now, that doesn't make a 100% test. Like, that's absolutely all there is to it. But it's a very important and crucial test. Mm. So you show love with the pies. Yes, absolutely. And you, mm-hmm. pies, you do Pies University, right? It, and yeah. this podcast yeah. is part of Pies University. Is that correct? Yeah, oh. it is. <laughs> it is. So... <laughs> well so i want to take it a little bit of a different direction with the next question love in today's age so you mentioned especially for kids the having the structure plus the feeling loved that's the best Mm -hmm. outcome but so much of what society is saying now is you love someone when you let them do whatever they want to do Yeah, I know that's what society says today because we have become very hedonistic. It's a society where whatever I want to do should be okay. And so 
we, we reach yeah. a society and, and for kind of a ridiculous illustration, but it's one that pops in my head. If somebody breaks into your house and is stealing your TV and they trip and fall, they sue you. It's like whatever right. I do is right. Whatever I want to do is right. right. And how dare you mm-hmm. get in the way of me doing whatever the heck I want to do. And and that culture has been building for a long period of time. So that it's very me, 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 me. Therefore, you love me if you let me do whatever the heck I want to do. If that mm-hmm. were the case. Now, you have two children who are at this recording. Your youngest just turned three. And his name is Arrow. Oh, I'm sorry. Just turned four. Hard to keep up. It changes every year. Every year. <laughs> Arrow just turned four. He is rambunctious. Uh, he He's into everything. And if you saw him pick up a fork and head to an, an electrical outlet, by the yeah. principle of, if I love you, I'll let you do whatever you want to do, you'd let him stick that thing in the outlet. Well, of course, it would kill him. And so you can't let him right. do whatever he wants to do. You say, well, yeah, yeah, but he's four. But what about if he's 14? Uh, I wonder how many 14s make really mature, solid decisions about everything they want to do. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I have a story about that, but I won't tell it right here. No, no, (laughs) you also did that. You say, okay, but what about when they're 17 or a senior in high school? At this point, you should let them do whatever the heck they want to do, right? Well, if you want them to bear the consequences of their behavior, yeah. What I mean is this. If you let people just do whatever the heck they want to do, they're going to find out the hard way that there are consequences in life. And so if they spend all their money, they're going to wind up broke. Okay. Then when they want something, they won't have enough money to buy it. And then they'll wind up in debt. They wind up bankrupt, et cetera. Now, I'm not putting down people who have to go bankrupt because there are many, many situations that can cause that. But you understand the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that there are consequences to every decision, every decision. And if you really love someone, you try not to let them do those things, not by dominating, but in whatever way you can with influence. And so, like, for example, if I'm talking to a, a, a man whose wife is an alcoholic and we start talking about, well, how, what kind of intervention can you do for the alcoholics? Well, the principle you're talking about is if she wants to be an alcoholic, let her be an alcoholic. If you love her, just leave her alone. Let her do what she wants to do. Oh, really? Destroy her liver at least over time she will, uh, wind up having real difficulty keeping a job unless she's a pretty good dry drunk. Oh, and eventually mm-hmm. running into somebody else and killing them and herself as well. All those things are bad. And people say, well, you have to wait for them to reach, you know, rock bottom. Uh, and to that husband, I would say, well, you can create a bottom for her that's not nearly as bad as the bottom she's going to create for herself. And if you can create that bottom, there's a chance to do an intervention and rescue her from that behavior now. And so uh, you know that if if you had come home with a boyfriend and said, he's going to sleep with me in my bedroom tonight. Oh my gosh, there is no way that would have ever no, happened. No, 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 no. But some people would say, well, if you love her, let her make her own choice about that. Well, if she makes that choice out there on her own, I can't do much about that. But if she wants to bring it in my house and do that, mm, no, because there are rules. There are things like this is what's right. This is what's wrong. And, and people who love will stand by that. Now, we're not talking about harsh, strict people that are just mean. Surely you understand that. But there has to be a right and wrong. And and love means you don't always agree with everything the other person does. And you let them know that you don't agree. Mm. But, but this is hard because it, to, it can toe the line between when are you showing love and when are you starting to be controlling, especially with someone who's not your underage child, because there's more, you know, you can set a little bit more rules and boundaries for kids under 18, but when it's your spouse or your sister, you can't stop them unless you start controlling them. Well, control in that sense, you know, using the word like that, I would say, well, that's going to actually backfire. It's going to work against you. But can you, can you Mm -hmm. set boundaries? Can you set criteria? In our world, we call those stops. And cores stop stands for safeguard that offers protection. And in that sense, it would be like, you can't do this. If you do this, there's going to be a negative consequence, but you're not doing it because you're trying to control the other person's behavior. It's a safeguard that offers protection either to them or to you or to your children or somebody else. And so if I say to my, if, if my wife were an alcoholic and 
my wife, okay, it's the furthest thing from an alcoholic you can imagine. But if she were an alcoholic and she said, I'm going to take my grandchildren for a ride and I knew she'd been drinking, I'd say, no, that's, no, we have to put a stop there. A safe car that offers protection is not safe for you. It's not safe for them. I'll do whatever I need to do short of being physically controlling, obviously, but I'm going to do whatever I need to do to stop that from happening. But that's not because I'm trying to control who you are. It's because I'm trying to control a particular behavior. That's not even say control. I'm trying to stop a particular behavior that is detrimental. Uh, if, mm-hmm. for example, um, let's say it's, it's the, uh, the husband who's yelling bad things at a children, calling them names and et cetera. And the wife could say, you know, that, that's damaging them. And so we got to put a stop in place. And if you do that again, there's got to be a negative consequence that comes to bear. That's not trying to control who the other person is. That's a safeguard that offers protection. On the other side of that, the cores are continuing our relationship essentials, C-O-R-E, continuing our relationship essential, which basically says this is something that needs to happen. So it might be, you know, you need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous or, or you need to get some help for your anger, those kinds of things. And the other person will tell you many times that you're controlling if you insist on stops and cores. And that's what they do to manipulate you to let them do whatever the heck they want to do. So it's not always controlling just because the other person says it's controlling. You need to, first of all, evaluate your own motivation. Am I really doing this because I'm trying to control his or her behavior? Or, if I'm, or am I really doing this as a, as a safeguard that offers protection? That's, that can help mm-hmm. you decide the difference. And sometimes you may need a third party who can look at you and say, I, yeah. I know you think you're doing a safeguard that offers protection, but in actuality, you really are dominating and controlling. Uh, I would just ask somebody who is unbiased, you know, somebody who is professional even that can help a person think those things through. Right. Probably not your best friend. Probably. Well, unless probably they are really a good and wise best friend. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're the ones who can get it to you the best. But if they're biased towards you and whatever you do is okay, because that's just you. No, they're not going to be a good source of information. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about, let's talk about a different type of situation. Let's talk about a best friend. What if you have a best friend who you know is doing something detrimental to them and you don't have as much mm, of an opportunity to put some of these stops and cores in place because it's your best friend. It's not your spouse or your kid. So is it loving to address them or is it loving to just kind of See what happens. You don't want to interfere. I don't want to say anything to hurt their feelings. If, if you know that what they're doing is detrimental to them or other people, then love demands that you insert yourself, that, that you do mm. something. Uh, even if you don't even know the other person, not just best friends. Back mm. way before you were born, there was a, a store in Atlanta called Lionel Leisure City, kind of a forerunner of, of what we would know as Toys R Us, that kind of thing. And and one Christmas, we were up there shopping. Angel, our first child, had just been born in November. So this was December. This was that long ago. Okay. And uh, as we walked through the store, there was a woman who was, as I walked past her, she was actually sitting back in a little uh, recession place there on one of the aisles and she was sitting there weeping, holding her purse. And I remember mm. walking by thinking it's none of my business. I shouldn't get involved, but that woman has haunted me ever since thinking mm. the act of love, even toward a stranger would be to say, what's wrong? Let me help you. And so if my best friend is about to do something really bad, detrimental, to him or to yeah. anybody else, or well, my best friend would be a male, but to him or anybody else, then then I would actually feel that I didn't love them if I ignored it, and particularly if I enabled it. But that's what we see so often. The best enables your mm-hmm. behavior, helps you do the thing that they know is detrimental, that they know is wrong. If, if that's what love right. is, <laughs> we're in trouble. If love is helping people destroy themselves or others, that, that's not what love is. Right. How do you, okay, here, let me start with this one. So now that we've talked about all of this, all of these ways you show love, how would you define love? Okay. Which kind of love? Love for my mom, love for my wife, love for my kids. Which kind of love? Because the the Hmm. Greeks had it correctly. They're different kinds of love. You know, the Eros, the Storge, the Phileo, the Agape, et cetera. And, uh, 
when you start looking at modern research, they even still use some of those words, by the way. And when you look at the major kinds of love that are studied in the social sciences, some of those words are still used. Uh, so how would I define love or explain love based on what? If it's a relationship with two, between two people, I would quote Sternberg. Mm-hmm. Like a romantic relationship or no, any relationship? Between- romantic in the sense that you're a partnership. So it could be that you're dating each other. It can be that, uh, that you're married to each other. In other words, it's not just casual friendship. There, there's some kind of a true connection here, like between a husband and a wife, that kind of thing. And so you look at that and go, hmm, okay. Sternberg says basically it has three components. One is going to be commitment, which is either a decision that you make that you're going to be there for the other person and do what it takes to keep the relationship alive, or is something that you evolved into without actually making a decision, but you got to the point where you're committed. I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep this relationship alive. There's another one that he calls intimacy. That's the second of the three. And intimacy has to do with openness and transparency and vulnerability, you know, sharing our lives, our minds, our hearts, our secrets with each other. Or as a lady in Texas mm-hmm. told me once to say it, say into me see. And the third is called passion, which has a sexual dimension, but it's much stronger than that in Sternberg's concept. It has to do with a craving for oneness. Now, with those three, the one that will develop the fastest and the one that will uh, subside the fastest is passion. Passion can come and go pretty quickly. The other two are what really hold a relationship. Now, you might be saying, wait a minute, I I want to have passion the rest of my life. You can. There are certain things you can do to make sure the passion stays alive, this craving for oneness. But it's probably not going to be the same kind of passion you felt, you know, when you first um, were married to each other, that kind of thing. And so that's the one that you should be least worried about. If it's gone, it's the one that actually is repairable. Okay. And the other two take longer. Intimacy takes a while to develop, and and it means being able to be open and transparent and to accept the other person as he or she is as they accept you as you are. In other words, flaws and all, warts and all, I think is what they say. And then commitment takes a while as well. Now, you can have a general commitment to humankind, like I'll help people who need my help, but commitment to a particular person to maintain that relationship with him or her takes a while to develop. And so I would say that that real love Hmm, that's the wrong word. If we're talking about re- love, relationship love, let me say it that way. Then you have intimacy, you have commitment, and you have passion. Which one do you think is the most intimacy. important? But hmm. it's hard to take that away from, from uh, commitment. In one of my books, I think it's my book, Becoming One, I wrote, uh, let's see, how did I say it? A relationship. I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly, but I'll get close. Something like this. Uh, a relationship without commitment. I think I called it love. Love without commitment is like jumping out of an airplane with no parachute. It's very exciting, but it ends badly. So mm. commitment is crucial because you're always going to have bad days. Sometimes things aren't going to go well. But intimacy is really what it's all about because if you're just committed and that's it, you have what's called an empty love. If you have just intimacy, it's called liking. I like you. You like me. If you have just passion, it's called infatuation. And so you really want all of those, all of those things. Mm. And interestingly, those things Mm. can be measured. Yeah. So what about the people who don't feel love towards someone? Their spouse, their, I mean, probably their spouse in this type of situation. How important is it to feel love? Feel love in the sense of help me understand exactly what you're saying. Those, a lot of times people compare it to when they were first dating. So those butterfly feelings, I love the way they make me feel. I love the way, um, you know, we interact when we're together. I just want to be with this person. That probably sounds more like passion, right? Um, But they're looking for a feeling, like a feeling in their gut. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we have uh, our media, particularly novels and movies and things like that, television shows that that keep that idea going that you're supposed to have that butterflies in the stomach, giddy feeling for as long as you live. And anybody who's been like, for example, married for any length of time knows that that's just not the way it goes. Fisher, who is a biological anthropologist, Dr. Fisher, talks about the fact that 
those kinds of feelings were designed to draw us together, but never intended to keep us together because those mm. feelings, when they're intense, actually become nonproductive. <laughs> what I mean by that is you, you get so focused on those feelings and thinking about the other person that you become unproductive in life. You know, you can't farm, mm. you can't type, you, whatever. You just, at least you're, right. at least it's diminished dramatically. And so she points out that that was never intended by nature. Now, I'm a, I'm a believer in God. I don't think she is uh, based on her writings. She may be, I don't know. But she says, you know, if you think about nature, then, then it could never hold us together because it destroys humanity over time. And so that those, those kinds of feelings are important to draw us together, but don't expect them to last forever. There's a different kind of love. That intimacy and commitment really become much more important. So uh, my wife, Alice, her mother and I have been married, well, off and on now for <laughs> 50-something years at the time of this recording. And and I don't feel giddy about her, and I don't think she feels giddy about me. No butterflies in the stomach. It's just this deep intimacy where we know each other so very well and, and deep commitment to each other. Now, can there still be passion? Absolutely. There is a craving for oneness. It's not always sexual, but it's still a craving for oneness. Like, oh, I wish Alice were here to see this with me. And, and she'll tell me, oh, you should have seen this today. I want to share life with you. So passion, but not the same kind of passion that people feel early in relationships. It changes to a different kind of longing. Mm. So do you think when that, that passion fades, like you said, it can be the quickest to come, quickest to fade. Do you think that's when people begin to question things like, did I marry the right person? Is this the right person for me? Because they don't feel that. That's part of it. And again, it's because, oh, the novel I read, oh, I wish I felt like that. Or that, that movie I just watched, oh, I wish I felt like that. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And so they start comparing themselves against a fantasy. And if you compare anything against a fantasy, the fantasy wins. <laughs> it's just like, oh. so that's part of it. But the other part is that other people go in and out of your life. You know, they go by. And sometimes you find yourself attracted to some of those people. And you might feel a surge like the butterflies in the stomach because some kind of physical attraction takes place. And you think, oh, for example, you know, I'm a guy, so it might be, oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, look how smart she is. Oh, wow. wonder what it would be like if we were together. That's a bad thing to think, by the way. The more you consider other possibilities, the weaker your commitment becomes. So try not to do that. Mm. But if that kind of thing happens, then that's when they also might question it as well. Well, I still got those feelings. I can still feel those feelings, but I'm not feeling it toward my wife. But I felt just a little bit of it toward that woman that walked by or that new woman in the office. And that's when they go like, maybe I'm missing out on something. But if they were to leave the wife and marry that other person, after a while, they're right back to the same situation they're in now. That stuff, that kind of intensity doesn't last a lifetime. It just doesn't. As, as Fisher says, and she's, I'm convinced she's right, this biological anthropologist, it's designed to draw us together, but never to keep us together. And so part of it is, yes, the movies and et cetera, but part of it is sometimes they feel twinges of that when they interact with other people. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend for people who are single and they're dating right now? What should they look for for a loving relationship for their future. Okay, I would say look for somebody who is not just physically attractive, although that can be extremely important, but intellectually attractive. What that means is somebody that you and he or she can actually communicate with each other and understand each other, that you can have actual true conversations emotionally. A person that does things that evokes emotions within you that you enjoy feeling. And by the way, mm -hmm. if you're dating somebody who's evoking emotions within you that you don't enjoy feeling, don't think that marrying them is going to fix that. It's not. Absolutely. And people with, with similar beliefs and values to your own, not people that would drag you down when it comes to beliefs and values, but people that can help you maintain or to grow. I would look for all of those things. Okay, these kind of people, that's what I'm looking for. So the physical, not quite as important as the emotional. The emotional would be, how, how well can I interact with this person for years to come? And, and then, because of this intimacy thing being so important, so crucial, uh, somebody who can accept you as you are, that when you start self-revelation, or start telling about your life, what you think, what you feel, what you've done, what you've been through, what's happened to you that you hate, what's happened to you that you like. That as you can both share that with each other, that each of you can still accept the other person. 
these websites that say, okay, be on your best behavior, be very careful about what you say, and, and win the other person over by being more charming than you actually are is bull. Can it work <laughs> on the short term? Absolutely. Well, what happens in the long term? Eventually, they're going to know who you are. <laughs> so well, if somebody yeah. can't accept who you are, why play that silly, silly game? Do that. Yeah. Find the person that you can accept as he or she is. And by the way, if you've made an ideal man or an ideal woman, I'm looking for Prince Charming. I'm looking for Cinderella. They do not exist. They're not out mm, there. No, no, they're not. Let's talk about married people then. So what if for the people who are listening who are married and they're saying, we, the, the pies, cause that's what you just talked about. I'm not attracted to my spouse. Like I used to be physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. I don't feel that love. I don't know how to regain intimacy. What are the, what's the encouragement that you would tell them to do to fall back in love? Obviously, first of all, each of them should get into shape physically as best they can at their age and situation in life. We're not talking about plastic surgery. We're just saying taking care of your body. That's important because part of what happens in passion is a sex drive. And, and, and sex drive is definitely affected by whether or not you're in good physical shape. And so take care of that for lots and lots of reasons we don't have time to discuss. And then find time to start talking to each other. And so uh, if your husband's interested in something that really fascinates him, find out some things about that, or you can talk to him about it. Or if your wife's really fascinated by this thing over here, find out some things about that so you can talk to her about that. Be able to get to a point where you can actually converse about things that that are of interest to the other person, or you're knowledgeable enough that you can actually talk about those things. And then, and then emotionally start paying close attention. And if you're evoking neutral emotions in the other person, start finding ways to evoke positive emotion. If you're evoking negative emotions from the other person, Find a way to stop that and then start evoking positive emotions from the other person. And then talk about your spiritual values together, what you believe, what you value, discuss those things. So one way to do this, by the way, we recommend to people is um, once every week or two or three, whatever best works for your schedule, tell each other stories from your childhood. And, and try to find insight into yourself from those stories and insight into your spouse from those stories. Now, that takes a longer explanation than what I just gave. But marriage is always work. In other words, you can't ever just mm. become complacent and sit on the sofa next to each other and expect that, that the emotions and, and all those things continue to develop and merge more and more and more. Now, you don't have to be talking to each other every minute. You can have time to relax. You can have time just to sit on the sofa together. But these other things have to happen. Hmm. So what I hear you saying is if you're, if your marriage is not where you want it to be, you feel like you need to fall back in love. It starts with you. It starts with you working on your pies, physically, intellectually, emotionally, That's and spiritually great. in order to, to start that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Yesterday, I was just reading research about this exact thing. Now in research, it's called you know, how self-esteem or self-realization affects relationship quality over time, right? So it sounds not as simple to understand, but there's the research validates this exactly. They actually did a correlational study and I'll, I, that's difficult to do, but they followed relationships over five years, thousands of relationships and found that when one person would begin to work on things to increase their own self-esteem, it affected a positive increase in the relationship quality. It just makes sense if you think about it. I'm glad the research is, is backing it up, but it makes sense. Now, sometimes there are situations that yeah. exist that you're going to have to deal with. Maybe you're having trouble with the in-laws or or you have some financial difficulties yeah. or, or you're having trouble in the bedroom. And that's why people like us exist, you know, where you can contact us mm-hmm. and we have various things we can help you with to help do those things. But it always starts with the pots. It always starts with you taking care of you. And then if there are other issues... We'd love to help you with them. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, I love it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good way to end this great 
conversation. I know it's going to have so much value. What, what would you say is the most important thing for our listeners to do next after listening to this podcast? Well, I would recommend that, that of course you continue to follow Pi's university. That's extremely important in the teaching here. If, uh, if there are some kind of marriage difficulties, then I would say go to marriage helper. That's marriage help ER marriagehelper.com. We have a ton of free stuff mm-hmm. there for you and definitely go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash marriage helper. And if you subscribe there, by the way, it helps us even reach more people to help. And so you'd help us help people if you do that. And there are videos on all kinds of topics. Now, those basically are topics that have to do with there's a problem here. There's a problem there. And so we'd love to help you with that. But in the meantime, start talking to each other. Actually make a deal where you turn off the cell phones. You, you Actually, I guess they're called smartphones now instead of cell phones, right? <laughs> Because they have become smarter than us as people. Yes. <laughs> the smarter phones get, the stupider people get. <laughs> well, in my case, that may actually be true. But make a time when the kids are not bothering you, the television's off, there's no distractions. Sit down on the back porch, deck, whatever you have, patio, or go walk together down some path somewhere and just talk. Just start talking mm. about things. And, and, and the easiest thing to do is to take turns sharing stories from your childhood that you believe affects you now in the way that you think or you feel or you act. And you don't have to get psychotherapy here. Just try to understand each other. And as the other person tells the story, whatever you're doing, they'll go, well, well, this is what you should have done. Or you shouldn't feel like that. Mm. <laughs> don't do that. Listen to understand. And that's a great place to start. Mm, I love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Dad. <laughs> You're very welcome. So to be Dr. Daughter, I mean, that PhD you're working on will be done almost before you know it. Oh, yes. It will. Let's, it will. That's that's the goal and the hope. Well, great conversation. We'll have to have you back to talk more about parenting because I'm sure that's a big one. People are going to have even more questions about when when they hear all the things that we talked about there. Thank you for inviting me. Here are my key pies takeaways from today's episode with Dr. Joe Beam. The first one is this, that loving someone doesn't mean that you always agree with them. It may very well mean that because you love them, you are going to stand for what's right, even if that is in disagreement with what they want for their lives. This is especially important if you have children. We know as parents that to show your children that you love them doesn't mean you let them do whatever in the world they want to do, but instead it's showing that there are rules, there are boundaries, but showing them that even when they try and break those or even when they do break those, you're going to love them for who they are, even if you don't love or agree with what they are doing. It's two separate things that society is in complete contradiction with in this day and age. Society is telling us that to love someone, you have to agree with what they want and what they want to do. And I'm here to tell you that the truth is you don't. You can still love someone, even if you don't agree with what they're doing. And you can still show them that you love them by and not have to attack them or yell at them. That's not the way to bring them around to it. But you can still be that person who shows love, even if you're not showing agreement. So what does that look like for you right now in your life? The second key pies takeaway I have from today's episode is that intimacy is the most important part when we're thinking about love. If we look at the scientific definition of love, love is comprised of three things, commitment, intimacy, and passion. The three of those make a triangle, which Dr. Robert Sternberg refers to the triangulation of love. But of those three, the one that is most likely to fluctuate the easiest is passion. So therefore, it's the least important because you don't necessarily have to have that in order to have a long lasting relationship. Commitment is important, but the most important for someone to even want to be committed in the first place is intimacy. Intimacy as Dr. Beam said, is into me see. It's allowing the other person to speak to you, listening to them to understand, empathizing with them, trying to see the world from their point of view. Intimacy is a state of personal closeness 
between two people. If you even look it up in the dictionary, then intimacy is something that is of personal or private nature. It is a sense of belonging, a sense of closeness, familiarity, nearness. Those are the words we're looking for when we're trying to really talk about what love is. Love is when you're able to be intimate, close, near, feel like you belong to this to the person that you're sharing a relationship with. And the way that that happens is through personal connection, being there for them physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, being there for them with your pies. How can you show the people in your life that you are there for them with the pies? And the third key pies takeaway for today's episode is that if you want your relationships in your life to be better, then the best thing that you can begin doing is work on yourself. Start working on becoming more physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually attractive. Next week, I'm finally going to be launching the new course all about becoming the best you can be, all about working on your pies. It's called Your Best Self, 30 Days to Becoming the Most Attractive You Can Be. And in this course... It is broken down into something that you can learn and do every single day in order to become more attractive. It is research-driven principles that I break down, teach you, and tell you exactly how you can apply them in your daily life in order to see the benefit. If you want to join the new course as soon as it launches, which is going to be very soon, then be sure that you are on the email list. You can join it by going to itstartswithattraction.com and being sure that you get your free attraction assessment. That's a great way to really prime yourself in knowing which area of the pies that you even want to start working on before you get the brand new course, which will launch right here in the next week. I would love to have you be a part of it. For now, remember, in order for you to have better relationships with the people in your life, the people that you love, in order to show them that you love them, that doesn't mean you always have to agree with them. It does mean that you need to focus on becoming more intimate with the people that you love in your life. And the best way you can do any of it is begin by working on you. I hope you loved this episode please leave a review to let others know what you loved about it, how you loved it, and be sure to share this podcast with someone that you love so that you can share the love of all things love. I don't know how many more times I can say the word love in this podcast, but I do hope that you loved it. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember to go and subscribe to this podcast and leave an honest review. I love to hear from you guys. So be sure to go and do that. And it will also help more people find the podcast as well. You can always find out more information by going to itstartswithattraction.com for show notes, for updates, and to join the email list so that every Friday you can get an encouraging email that specifically tells you what you can do to work on your pies so that you can become the best that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Until next week, keep working on your pies and stay strong.